We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA show. It is Wednesday, July 29th. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Alex Barutha. You're listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. Alex, we have plenty of news to get to. Uh, we are just one day away from the resumption of real, actual NBA games. We had a week's worth of scrimmages that wrapped up last night. And as we were planning this show on Tuesday night, right as we're about to step into the studio, uh, you actually alerted me to an injury that, you know, hopefully is is one that doesn't end up having a major impact uh, on the postseason. But the Rockets losing arguably their third or fourth best player and, and certainly one of their better offensive players in Eric Gordon um, rolling his ankle in a scrimmage last night against Boston. Um, you know, we're, we're still not 100% sure, you know, when he might come back to the Rockets, how much time he's going to miss. But by the way that this injury looked um, kind of a classic, you know, stepping on a defender's foot, rolling the ankle, um, hard to imagine that he doesn't miss at least a handful of games. And, um, you know, the Rockets are, are certainly not a team that we're worried about falling out of the playoffs entirely, but already fairly thin uh, across the entire roster, um, kind of thinned it out even more by some of the moves that they made around the deadline. And uh, as we were talking in the studio and we were recording, I mean, it's just, I mean, for Gordon on a personal level, it just feels like he's due for one of these injuries once a year. Yeah, early in Eric Gordon's career, 
he was kind of given that injury prone tag and that was fine because he had missed a ton of time you know 60 games 50 games 40 games then we got to houston he had a you know basically three seasons in a row where he was above 68 games which is a fair amount Mm -hmm. and then this year he really really struggled with injuries played 34 games only shot 32 percent from three and 37 percent from the field and they're used to getting an efficient 16 17 18 points a game out of him and they've done well you know without him contributing a ton they're 40 and 24 but come playoff time he's a great guy to have around because he can handle the ball he's a veteran now you're putting a lot more pressure on guys who really haven't been there and done that like Ben McLemore, like Daniel House, like even Jeff Green. You're relying a lot on Austin Rivers. Yeah. Say his name, Austin Rivers. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you said it just right. And even though Eric Gordon has had a down year, you mentioned the percentages, 37%. That's by far a career low from the field. 31% from three, also by far a career low. And a guy who at this point in his career, you know, he's taken about 13 shots per game and eight and a half of those are coming from three. So if he's shooting badly from three, he's going to be shooting badly from the field. So maybe the field goal percentage isn't all that alarming, but on the same token, for me, he's still one of those guys that I don't care what the numbers say. You just know that if he's healthy, he's going to have a game where he goes like six for 13 from three and swings a game. And he's proven throughout his career, especially early on when he was a 20, 22 point per game scorer back in his days with the Hornets and the Clippers you know, he's a guy that, you know, I I think is capable of more production than we've seen. We've, we've kind of throughout his career, whether it's been in LA, in New Orleans, now in Houston, it always seems like he's never quite in the right situation to, to be the man or even the second option. And now, you know, you're asking him to play and really this entire roster are really, it's really difficult to to be a role player on this team. You know, if, if you're PJ Tucker, you're, you're basically asked to go out there for 40 minutes and just play as hard as you can on defense and make up for the mistakes that some of the guards are going to make. Same thing for Robert Covington now, you know, who came over via trade. And if you're one of these guards, it's, it's, it's hard enough to play off of Russell Westbrook, as we've seen throughout his career, but then kind of having to alternate between Westbrook and Harden handling the ball, uh, and then both of those guys being on the court as much as they will be together in the playoffs. Uh, it, it's a difficult task, but certainly a... A major loss for Houston, assuming Eric Gordon does miss a, a decent chunk of time. But, you know, we hope that he's back in time for the playoffs. Let's just run through some more news from the conclusion of these scrimmages, which, again, wrapped up Tuesday night. No games on Wednesday, no scrimmages on Wednesday. And then we'll get into the two uh, seeding games on, on Thursday night. So one of the teams that does play on Thursday, the Los Angeles Clippers, who go up against the Lakers in the nightcap Thursday, uh, Patrick Beverly, his status still very much up in the air. I think Doc Rivers called him, quote, a maybe earlier in the week. Doc never seems concerned about things like this. And, you know, the Clippers are are in a very good spot to lock up the number two seed at some point. So not a huge rush to get these guys back. They've already beaten the Lakers twice this year. I don't think you feel like you have to have Pat Beverly in the lineup necessarily on Thursday. But I I think the Montrezl Harrell situation – is a little bit more concerning to me. Again, not a guy who who necessarily needs the experience, but he was away from the team for a personal uh, excuse absence for for over a week. And I, I think they're going to have very limited time to get him back in the mix. I mean, the Clippers famously never practiced during the regular season. I don't know if that's going to change in the bubble, but uh, maybe a little bit of concern with getting Harrell up to speed and kind of having to throw him right back into game action instead of you know having the opportunity to participate in these scrimmages. Yeah, I mean... 
Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell are what the leading two potentially candidates for six man of the year. I mean, they run yes. the entire second unit for the Clippers without them. I don't really understand what their second unit is. Right. Um, it'll be a lot of like Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, Landry Shamit if he plays. Right. It's a lot of names. It's a lot. <laughs> and so I, I don't know. Yeah, this is this is tough for them, especially going up against the Lakers in the first game. But, you know, for them, it's just like, Again, it's it's they're concerned about the long term mm-hmm. and just trying to get out of the first round, make it right. to the NBA Finals, stuff like that. So it, um, immediately, it's a little bit of a concern, but I don't think this will matter yeah. too much. No, no, I don't think so. And I, I think the Lou Williams situation, which I don't think we need to to go over at this point. You know, it's been a few days, but I think the fact that you know when you when you see Woj tweet out that the NBA is use he used the word investigating you know Lou Williams activities right. outside of the bubble you know my first thought is you know what the what the heck happened here like how how much time could he end up missing I, I think you know forcing him to quarantine for what is it ten days yeah is kind of the best case scenario I, he'll be totally fine you know I think he's going to miss uh, two or three of the seeding games and and again L A not necessarily in a position where they need to go eight and zero and and run the table here. But uh, certainly at a disadvantage against a Lakers team that has a couple injuries of its own. Uh, Dwight Howard dealing with a knee injury. He missed their last scrimmage. Anthony Davis got poked in the eye during their second scrimmage. Did not practice at all on Wednesday. Was just chilling on the sidelines wearing sunglasses. Um, didn't, so, you know, you see that photo tweeted out by the Lakers this morning. And, you know, right away I'm thinking, okay, obviously they're just handling him with caution. But, after practice, I mean, Frank Vogel certainly left the door open for Davis to not play on Thursday night. Yeah, and that would be talk about like a kind of a like a letdown in terms of yeah, they, right. the NBA sets up this matchup Lakers Clippers, and then it's no the Will, you know, no Lou Will, no Montrez, no Anthony Davis, um, almost no Zion. Almost. Well, we still don't know for certain, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, for them. Yeah, that doesn't sound like it'll be long term long term either. But that'll just be more opportunities for Kyle Kuzma and right. Markeith Morris and guys like that. But I don't know what they'll do. I mean, it'll, it 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 will definitely test the Lakers' depth without Avery Bradley and without mm-hmm. Anthony Davis. Kind of what sort of lineups they play if they get into that scenario. What sort of lineups they'll use when Anthony Davis isn't on the court, but LeBron mm-hmm. James is. You know, can this team even function without either of those guys on the court? Like, if LeBron and AD both aren't on the court at this point, which won't happen too much, mm-hmm. but what does that even what does that even look like? Is Caruso the ball handler? Is it just Rondo? Is that just the Rondo minutes stuff like that? Well, we won't see any Rondo until at least way later. Yeah, uh, yeah at least the playoffs. You know, maybe even the second round of the playoffs, depending on how his thumb heals up. But I mean, the Anthony Davis minutes. They they weren't exactly running teams off the floor when it was just Davis and no LeBron no. during the regular season. Um, I, I think the issue is they they just need to find that third guy, and they were able to to get away with it and obviously lead the Western Conference before the shutdown without ever finding a true number three. So, yeah, maybe saying it's a need is a little far, but I think the guy that they really really hope would emerge is Kyle Kuzma and. You don't want to put too much stock in a scrimmage whatsoever. He did not participate in their third scrimmage either. But in the second one against Orlando, uh, Kuzma goes for 25 off the bench, 10 of 13 from the field, 5 of 7 from 3. You heard rumblings early on the first two, three practices in Orlando that you know Kuzma looked better physically, was taking things more seriously, uh, just kind of seemed to be more locked in, I think, than he was 
uh, back in March. And again, you never want to read too far into that stuff, especially when it's coming from the head coach of that team. But it, it kind of came to fruition in these first couple of scrimmages. And I, I thought he looked a lot more aggressive and a lot more confident. Yeah, I mean Kuzma. If there's going to be a third guy, I think it has to it has to be Kuzma because no right. one else on the team has the skill set to be that guy where you can give him the ball and have a chance right. to get like a good shot. I think I think that's great. Yeah, I think Danny Green on a lot of nights is their third best player. Yep. But what he does, you know, you're not going to say, okay, LeBron and AD take a breather. Danny Green, we're going to let you handle it. Like like you said, Kuzma kind of has to be that guy by default. And even if he's having an off night, you'd rather run things through Kyle Kuzma than. Danny Green, you can't run things through JaVale McGee. You can only run things through Caruso for so long. Um, you know, I, th- I think Deion Waiters in some ways has that skill set. Will it yeah. come to fruition and and be efficient and productive? Who knows? He looked really, really good in their third scrimmage when half the team was sitting out and he was basically handed the reins. But, you know, I think my, my big question with guys like Waiters and, and J.R. Smith, who had six threes in that scrimmage um, on Monday – Deion Waiters is somebody that has that mindset of when I'm on the court, I am the number one guy. Right. Everything has to run through me. He's, you know, it's been proven whether whether it's in in Cleveland or Miami or wherever he's bounced around that, you know, he can't just be a bit guy. So I, I think there is a way that LA can use him wisely and kind of use their lack of depth right now, maybe to their advantage in some ways. And and you need Waiters to get hot like he was in that scrimmage on Monday. And that's a a major, major if when you're talking about doing that in games that actually matter and chances are it's probably not going to happen, but he's going to have an opportunity by default in some, in some lineups to be the guy for this team, kind of in the same way that at times Rajon Rondo was handed the reins. If LeBron's not on the court, Deion Waiters might inherit a decent chunk of those minutes. He might. And I'm not someone who is like a Deion Waiters believer. He really hasn't been that efficient when he's on the court the team doesn't really play that much better <laughs> controversial statement Contro- yes but at the same time there is value in just having a single player on the court who can get an open shot off yes. even if it's exactly you know that's why the blazers have carmelo right yeah. oftentimes they aren't the greatest shots but just getting a shot up getting it on the rim especially for a team that when fully healthy is the biggest team in the league and right. has three huge athletic versatile centers who you know are are among the best offensive rebounders collectively in the NBA. I think the team hit maybe most hard by injuries right now in Orlando is probably the Indiana Pacers. Mm-hmm. There was a scare earlier this week with Damian Lillard. Sounded like possible plantar fascia issue, some some discomfort on the bottom of his foot. I believe he underwent an X-ray. Things came back clean. He did not participate in their final scrimmage on Tuesday, uh, but sounds like Dame should be fine. But I think the biggest single injury that's happened in Orlando is DeMontis Sabonis. Yeah, he, I mean, he is such a key offensive piece for the Pacers. He's their, he's their all-star. Mm-hmm. And so if he's not available, I don't really know how much of a chance they have to make real noise in the playoffs. Like, you know, I, I like Malcolm Brogdon. I like Miles Turner. I like a lot of the guys on that team, but I wouldn't trust a, especially if, especially if Oladipo isn't there. I don't trust a, a Brogdon, Miles Turner team to do mm. anything in the playoffs. No, and we still don't know for sure on Oladipo, although he's played in all three scrimmages. Right. And, you know, I mean, maybe by the time this airs, we'll have a, a better idea. But at the same time, I mean, it, it seems like he's trending in the right direction. Um, although you do wonder if, if we find out that Sabonis is out for the year, which honestly seems 
fairly likely at this point. I mean, he departed the bubble to, I, I think the wording they used was what, seek treatment. Yeah. And, you know, at first it's like, okay, that, that seems reasonable. You know, maybe the whole medical staff's not here. Maybe they need some sort of imaging equipment that they don't have. Who knows? But we haven't heard anything since then. No. And even if he were to come back a week from now, you're still facing quarantine. You know, there's, they would probably have to launch an investigation into where he all went, you know, during this multi-week absence. So yep. you kind of have to start projecting out like what that might look like. And I mean, it seems like almost a lock that he would miss at least the seating rounds. And then, you know, if you're Oladipo and you look around and say, you know, like you said, I, I don't know if a 75% Victor Oladipo plus Malcolm Brogdon plus TJ Warren plus Miles Turner team, is that getting out around one? You know, realistically, probably not. And we already know Oladipo's on the fence. So you, you have to wonder if maybe in the back of his mind, this is this is weighing on his decision. It might be. I mean, with, uh, with Sabonis off the court, the Pacers are minus two, which, you know, I mean, they can survive, but it's not mm-hmm. great. But their most frequent lineup with Sabonis off the courts minus thirty three in one hundred and sixty five possessions. Like I don't know how that even happened. Um, It's Brogdon, Lamb, Justin Holiday, T.J. Warren, Miles Turner. Yikes! Yeah, Um, but I mean, if I don't know if if Oladipo is close to one hundred percent, then he should be able to swing that point differential into the positive, obviously, Mm -hmm. because he becomes the best player on the team. But if you know if he uses you know, kind of like you were alluding to, if he thinks if Sabonis is out, we don't have a chance. Then if he's gone, then I have virtually zero faith in, in the Pacers. Yeah, I I mean, I think losing Sabonis might be the death knell for them either right. way. You know, I, I think if we're talking about 2017-18 Victor Oladipo, you know, a guy who I, I think was second team All-NBA, was arguably a top three or four defensive guard in the league that season, that changes everything. But realistically... I mean, Oladipo, even if he plays and and can play 35 minutes, like I just, he hasn't been that guy. He wasn't that guy last year before the injury. He certainly has not been that guy since the injury. Struggled again in, the, in their final scrimmage on Tuesday night, four of 16 from the field, one of six from three in that game. And, and those were the same areas in which he struggled um, after coming back, you know, before the restart. He right. he just could not shoot the ball efficiently and, and really struggled from beyond the arc. And this is a team you know, Malcolm Brogdon, a, a really nice high level facilitator, maybe not someone you you would call a playmaker, you know, TJ Warren kind of just a scorer, doesn't really do anything else. Miles Turner, good defender, but again, not, not a guy you can run things through. And that's, that's kind of the uniqueness of Sabonis, who I really think is taken over from Victor Oladipo as their best player. You know, I mean, part yeah. of it is the injury, of course, but I mean, he, he was clearly their all-star over Brogdon. Uh, it was really no debate between him and Turner and I think maybe around the league, uh, you know, around the NBA community, like the the name recognition hasn't quite caught up to how good he is, where, you know, you hear DeMontis Sabonis out and you're like, okay, that's a big blow. But, you know, for some people, I think Victor Oladipo is still the main name there. Or even Miles Turner might be the bigger name. And, um, you know, it, it just it seems like not enough people, I guess, are talking about how serious uh, of a loss this would be for Indiana. Right. I, I agree with you, Doug. I think Victor Oladipo has to, he has to take back the title of best player on the team from Sabonis. I don't think you yes. can just give it to Oladipo until he goes out there and he earns it. And he, we still haven't seen that from him. And it's, it's this injury that the, the injury that he had is still by all accounts, a full recovery period is like two years. And yeah. we're not there yet. So we shouldn't expect him to be fully healthy. Right. It'd be like a miracle if he was a hundred percent a yeah. year and a half in. Um, he probably needs the extra six months mm-hmm. until next season. Yes. He needs to play Sabonis one-on-one 
for the title. <laughs> uh, Kemba Walker still somewhat up in the air uh, as far as what his status will be for uh, kind of the entire seeding round. I don't yeah. really see this being something that goes away anytime soon and probably you know won't go away in the playoffs either. He was limited during Sunday scrimmage. He missed their first scrimmage and then also sat out Tuesday scrimmage. Not a great sign. You know, Walker is kind of one of the last guys who needs the experience. But when you also consider he's being held out of practices, um, you know, the Celtics certainly aren't going to release, you know, any negative news about him as, as the seeding games approach. And, you know, they're one of those teams that isn't going to fall out of the playoffs, but every seeding game is going to matter for them, especially if they have an internal preference of who they want to face. Um, so, you know, obviously you want Kemba Walker to be back at 100%, but I, like, like, like we said last week, I would not be surprised. Uh, the situation really hasn't changed since then. I wouldn't be surprised if Kemba Walker ends up missing time or, or is at least limited during the seeding round. Yeah. I mean, he's not practicing on consecutive days and games are every other day and games yeah. are harder than practices. So right. it might be a situation where, yeah, maybe he only plays half mm-hmm. of the seeding games and that wouldn't right. be surprising. And there are some back-to-backs during the seeding round. Yeah, at least one for every team, I think. I right? believe so, yeah. So the Celtics have a back-to-back next Tuesday and Wednesday, August 4th and 5th. Right. Can't imagine he plays in both halves of that. No, it's almost a guarantee that he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we... I don't know. I, I think, yeah, they're going to take it as easy as possible for as long as they as long as long they can. And I don't think they're going to play them 35 minutes until mm-hmm. their backs are against the wall. Right. I will say, though, I think they're, the way that their roster shakes out, I think they can tread water without him. I don't think they can get to the East Finals. I don't think they can get to the NBA Finals without Kemba Walker playing at his probably absolute peak, considering the teams that you would have to go through to get there. But... You know, a lineup of Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Daniel Tice, whoever you, whoever you want to throw in there at center, is still pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. And I think the defensive advantage of Smart over Walker is massive. You know, and and yes. I think there's a little bit of redundancy in terms of Walker's scoring and what Jason Tatum offers you, what Jalen Brown offers you, what Gordon Hayward when he's at full strength offers you. Like they can get by without Kemba's 22 points a game or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Like th- those other three guys can make up for that. And I think the advantage that they gained defensively was smart. You know, they're not a better team without Kemba Walker. I'm not suggesting that, but I don't think they're going to just completely fall off a cliff kind of in the same way that we just talked about Indiana. No, I think, I think you're right. I think they can tread water. Kemba Walker, the team's like only one and a half points better when he's on the court. Mm -hmm. It's not like drastic. That's compared to Tatum, by the way, who's plus 11 and even Gordon Hayward, who's plus five. So I think, and you're right. It's, it's mostly on the defense that Walker is, is kind of hurting the team. And, you know, if Walker was available, yes, you would also have smart Marcus Smart available. But if you can give 40 minutes to Marcus Smart and shut down opposing teams' point guards consistently and make that a point of emphasis mm. and then funnel the offense through everyone else, that can make just as much sense as uh, you know having Kemba Walker out there, even if your talent level is a little bit mm. lower. You're listening to Rotowire's NBA show on Dash Radio, Nothing But Net. Um I want to talk about just a few more quick hitters from the scrimmages. Thoughts on the Bucks they overall? Look they look great. I thought the same thing. I thought Giannis, as you'd expect, just was treating this as if it was Game Seven of the Finals. Um, you know, went hard, played all three scrimmages. Um, I, I thought the Bucks looked really good. Yeah, I think 
the I mean, one great thing is that Lopez looked especially good. Yes. And that he was hitting his three pointers. Right. Because he I mean the Bucks the Bucks were on a seventy win pace with Lopez shooting like sub thirty percent from three. And so if he can get that up to thirty three percent, thirty four percent, that creates yeah. obviously an entirely new dynamic for the Bucks. And we still haven't even seen Eric Bledsoe, right, who is at this point, I think we actually have to consider a wild card because we until he has right. a good playoff series under pressure, you right. Bucks fans are just going to trust George Hill way more than Bledsoe. Yeah, I I think it's going to be really, really, really interesting to see that minute split because right. even for most of the regular season, especially in the you know the months leading up to the All Star break and after the All Star break, Bledsoe was playing twenty four, twenty five minutes on mm-hmm. a lot of nights and. George Hill was hurt even for a lot of that span. It's not like they were trying to get George Hill more minutes. It was just, you know, not that you don't trust Eric Bledsoe, but I just, I don't think they felt that they needed him to be out there to win games or pull away and and win games and, you know, play the young guys at the end. And, you know, I think they're going to stick with that as long as they can. I think they probably overextended Bledsoe even by maybe two or three minutes per game during that Raptor series in the East Finals last year. And I wouldn't be surprised if, let's say they're in the East Finals against, Philly or Boston or Toronto again, whoever it is. And, you know, it's one, one heading into game three. I wouldn't be surprised if with six minutes left in the game, George Hill comes in and that's, that's who they close out with. You know, I, I almost think, and I don't, I don't know if I would want to phrase it this way, but like, does Bledsoe have to earn that trust back? Like, is it, is it George, is George Hill like the incumbent closer at point guard right now? I think so. He's a better floor spacer. I think he makes more sense with Giannis as a player type. Like you don't need if Giannis is out there and the ball is in his hands um all the time, you don't necessarily need Bledsoe. That being said, when they're both on the court, the Bucks are plus twenty. So I mean I I, I, like I would Bledsoe. imagine that goes for most like Giannis plus whoever. Yeah. I mean I, I, I like Bledsoe, but it's just it, it really just comes down to the playoffs at this mm-hmm. point for him. Um looking up Giannis George Hill right now is plus thirteen. Um so but yeah. I don't know. I think that's a good question whether or not you would have Hill or or Bledsoe out there. It might it might just depend game by game because if Hill's out there shooting yeah. 75% from 3 on a particular game or a particular series and Bledsoe struggling again, I don't know how you justify putting out Bledsoe if he's shooting 30% in a series or whatever it is. Yeah. He was um, 24% from 3 in the playoffs last season, Bledsoe. Yeah, that's I, that's borderline unplayable. I think the other thing with Hill is just like the trust factor, you know, he's, he's played oh, yeah. in NBA finals before he, he doesn't have the same upside as Bledsoe where, you know, you look like Eric Bledsoe has even, even in his bad games, he'll have a play where he'll get a steal or get a rebound and just sprint past everybody mm-hmm. and finish on the other end, maybe draw contact, whatever it might be. George Hill's not doing that, but at the same time, those two or three plays a game where Bledsoe, takes an ill-advised three, yep. throws an, an ill-advised pass, you know, make, makes whatever mistake uh, you, you want to call it. Like, George Hill is just the, the safer play, I guess. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, and I mean, looking at games five and six against Toronto last year, Bledsoe played 34 minutes and 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see that happening again. If, if the Bucks are in that same situation, I, I don't think they would extend him that far. I don't think so either. Um, switching gears completely. Okay. Bull, bull. Yes. We have to talk about Bull Bull. It's almost, it, it like very quickly in the in the span of like 20 minutes became a cliche topic on NBA Twitter. But I, we have to ask at this point, like, is he, 
I don't, I don't want to temper expectations too much, but like, is he actually even going to play in seeding games? Not be a factor. Like, will he get off the bench and be in the rotation whatsoever? In seeding games, I think so. Because I think at some point, the, the... I mean, I don't really think who Denver... I don't know if Denver really cares about who they play in the first round. Maybe they do. I don't know if they can even really control who they play in the first round. I don't mm-hmm. know if they're going to sit guys to try to avoid a matchup, if they're going to play guys really hard to try to get a specific matchup. But I feel like you got to give them like five minutes, right? Like based on what we saw, I know it's like a glorified summer league yeah. context, but who has a game like that? Like there aren't that many players that can even post a game right. like that. And I feel like you have to give him some run in case you need him in the playoffs I yeah don't i don't i mean the, the problem with bull is like he has like no nba experience you know right i mean he was hurt he barely has any college experience due to that injury played a few games with the windy city bulls that, that's the other thing the nuggets don't have their own g league affiliate so it's not like they could go down there and say okay this is how we want this guy used you know the, a lot of times the g league's teams will run the exact same system for continuity when you don't have your own team, you don't have that luxury. You're kind of farming out his development. Mm-hmm. And I mean, maybe that makes it all the more impressive how good he's looked in these games, but I don't, I don't think they view him as like a break glass in case of emergency option. Like to me, that's still Michael Porter for them. Yeah. And at least Michael Porter has had three quarters of a season to, to get a feel for the NBA. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, Bull Bull doesn't have the same type of pedigree either. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think he's more of a long-term play. I think it's, it's going to be extremely intriguing to see how he develops. And, and honestly, like these three scrimmages that he's put together already are, are going to drive that, that hype train like in, into overdrive, I think heading into next year. And he's like, he's already put more, you know, on film than I thought he would this season. And we couldn't have predicted how everything would have shaken out schedule wise. But right. um, I mean, Bull Bull was you know, kind of a meme on draft night was a, a guy who fell all the way to what 44th overall yeah. And for the most part, was forgotten during the regular season. Like you didn't hear anything about Bull Bull, and for him to come in and and now be arguably the biggest single story of the scrimmage round, I think is is pretty impressive. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right in that he is more of a long term play, and that they would rather use Michael Porter Jr. as that guy to kind of break class in case mm-hmm. of emergency guy. He might be able to get you 20 points in a playoff game, right? Kind of a guy. You know, Bull Bull would get you like five blocks in a playoff game, yeah, potentially. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just a question of like, is he going to consistently make better plays than like Malik Beasley? Uh, is he going to make better plays than Jeremy Grant consistently? That's probably not going to happen. No. Uh, but things, I think things would have to be going pretty badly for us to see Bull Bull play 10 minutes in a playoff game. Either really well or really badly. Right. Yeah. Yes, I, I completely agree. Uh, on an aside, I was talking to a friend who... Uh, it's kind of like a Nuggets fan, I guess. I don't know. He he lives in Milwaukee, is also a Bucks fan, but like Moonlights as a Nuggets slash Jokic fan. Okay. Would you trade Michael Porter and Jamal Murray for Bradley Beal? Is that too much to give up? Michael Porter and Jamal Murray. I would do that. I would, I would take Beal. I think I would want a pickback from Washington as well. I mean, I, I think, you know, Murray's far from a throw-in and, and same with Porter. Could you pack it? Like, what What do you think you could get right now for Bull Bull and Michael Porter? If we really want to go wild. <laughs> for Bull Bull and Michael Porter. Let's like, assume that, you know, salaries are not an issue. Because when you're talking two rookie deals, you'd obviously have to throw in something else. Could you get, like, 
Like, would that be enough to get Brad Beal? Uh, Just that potential alone? Maybe. (laughs) I mean, I think Porter, you have to remember, like, Porter is extremely highly valued. Yeah. I mean, the bull part I'm, like, half-joking about, but... No, I know. I'm just, like, looking for a bad team to try to... Like, I... You could get Mitchell Robinson for him. Could you get... Yes. Yeah. But would you want to? Absolutely. You could absolutely get Mitchell Robinson, I think. (laughs) I, I think... I don't... I'm a little lower on Porter, I think, overall, but I, I think a lot of people view him as a potential, you know, guy who could make the same type of leap that Brandon Ingram did. Maybe not to the same heights that Jason Tatum reached, but you know, you, you Tatum's a guy that you kinda heard comparisons to in terms of his his game offensively. Right. I don't know. I don't know who you could give for those guys. That's a like a really wild combination of two right. guys who both have like injury history, but clearly have right. at this point shown their upside. And no contending team would really take them. It's got to be yeah, like one of those situations know. where it's a bad team, like trapped with a right. good player, right? It's really interesting right now, and we're getting completely off topic, but the Nuggets have a, a very good team right now, a team that, as currently constructed, is if everyone's healthy, is almost guaranteed to be a top five seed every year in a really good yeah. Western Conference. You have these, you have one, you know, like A to A plus trade chip in Porter and then now Bowl, who at at the very least is extremely intriguing as a throw in and would maybe swing a 50 50 deal for a team. So the Nuggets have, you know, these, these kind of trump cards in their back pocket. Meanwhile, OKC and New Orleans have massive caches of, of draft capital. And I I think it's going to be really interesting, you know, if a Brad Beal or a Devin Booker, or I don't know, whoever, whatever name you want to throw out, Damian Lillard, uh, God forbid, if any of those guys were to become available, like those three teams bidding against each other, like who would ultimately come out on top? That's a good question. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I guess for the Nuggets, maybe, you know, depending on what they want to do with Paul Millsap in the future, like, because this is the last year of Paul Millsap's deal. He's making $30 million. Part of me says they should try to keep him still because he's been so good for them. Like the number, his on off court numbers are crazy good. But if they wanted to move on and just try to do Michael Porter and Jeremy yeah. Grant and Bull Bull, then it's hard to blame them for that because that's I, yeah. I I, the, I mean the Millsap thing is is it is going to be entirely salary based, right? I feel like they would say you're welcome to come back, but we're not paying you anywhere near what you're making this season. You know? Yeah, I think and, if they paid him like thirty million total for two years, yeah, maybe if, if you could get him a little, yeah, even like or maybe non guaranteed the second year, right. something like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think they'd love to have him back and. I think a lot of it too will depend on on how these playoffs go even though it's a little bit unfair to judge um but you know I mean Denver probably a little bit disappointed with with last year's result I I would imagine they felt like they were as good if not better than Portland I thought they were better than Portland yeah and they barely made it out around one too against the Spurs team that was uh not nearly as good we should mention Jonathan Isaac came back in a, a very big way on Monday night uh, he went very quickly over the course of the last five or six weeks to, you know, it seemed like there was no chance he was going to play. And then all of a sudden he is with the team in the bubble. And at first he wasn't practicing and then, then he was, and then he comes back last night and I mean, looked like he hadn't missed a step and he hasn't played since new year's day. Right. Initially, initially it seemed like they weren't going to know whether he was going to play until like early to mid August. Like we might yeah. not know until like the sixth seeding game or something like that, but I mean, this is this is great for them. I mean, they were going to make the playoffs anyway. Washington wasn't going to, you know, take their spot at mm-hmm. eight or seven or whatever it'll end up being. Although I'm sure Orlando will move up to seven at this point. Um, 
yeah, I mean, assuming they move up to seven and play Toronto, then Jonathan Isaac will at least help them guard like Siakam. Yeah. You know, and they can just try to bother him and make everyone else beat them. Yeah. Uh, the Toronto will beat them, but it'll at least be an entertaining series and it'll be good experience for Isaac. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he's a guy too. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe he plays every other game or is on mm-hmm. a minutes limit to start just because of the amount of time that he missed and the fact that he missed what I think like almost 60 games in, in yeah. his rookie year. I mean, a guy who has a, already has a, a fairly lengthy injury history uh, on that lower body, but yeah, like you said, I don't think this changes anything in the short term for Orlando, but it's just fun to see him back out there because Orlando is just such a boring team to watch you know basically once it was once it was uh clear that aaron gordon wasn't going to take the next step it's like all right I don't, I don't know what we're doing here but i mean there's a case that back in december and, and early january before the injury like was isaac the second or third best perimeter or uh just most versatile defender i guess is the way to phrase it in the in the nba i mean the counting stats say he was like what easily one or two yeah, combined of, four blocks and steals per game yeah in terms of guarding perimeter guys and bigs right or at least playing help defense on bigs then exactly yeah i think so um there just aren't that many guys in the league who have that skill set both have that skill set and put up the numbers um and are like a positive influence on their team and jonathan isaac yeah. was all three and he's young he's also and, a pastor yeah yes positive influence off the court and yeah i'm i i am glad he's back because he is he is an exciting player and the the magic are way better when he's out there mm-hmm. and this is a team that should be fun right you have aaron gordon who's uh you know like one of the best dunkers in the league vucevic is relatively versatile like he can shoot threes they have fultz who is finally doing something um terrence ross shoots and he's every time he touches it like they should kind of be fun but they they do need jonathan isaac to be fun and legitimate i think no for sure yeah and i, I think we we hit on this last week i believe but at I think we agree he is by far their best asset right now. Yeah. Going forward. So any experience you can get, even if it's in a weird bubble setting uh, in the postseason, is, is going to be huge. Joseph Nurkic looks fantastic. Yeah. He had looked significantly better than I expected. Although, when you think about it, timing wise, his injury occurred last March. So, and he's had well over a full year, almost a, a almost a full year and a half to recover. Uh, from an injury that looked really, really bad and really disgusting and one that I have still not watched the actual video for. Um, But in the grand scheme of things, we've seen guys come back from these and, and, you know, kind of resume or pick up where they left off uh, a lot more than something like a torn Achilles or a torn ACL or torn quad tendon like Victor Oladipo is dealing with. So as bad as that injury looked, you'd rather break a bone than, you know, snap an Achilles. Yeah, 100 percent. And that having him back is the key for the for the Blazers because him and Lillard together are it's one of the best two man combos in the league and they just aren't going to get anywhere if he's not playing well I don't think I mean they did just because they haven't all year I mean they're the they're fighting right now for their lives they're a 29 and 37 team they just aren't good mm-hmm. and part of that is because Nurkic hasn't been there and yeah I it's it's nice that he's back because he is one of the better centers in the NBA and you know it'll be interesting to see because if they get like we've talked about this before if they can get the eighth seed there they'll be really an interesting matchup against the lakers and yeah um i'd I'd rather see them than than memphis do that yeah certainly um and the last note i have from scrimmages andre robertson 
back in the starting lineup on Tuesday night. Uh, one of those guys that you just kind of completely forget about because it had been that long. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, it seemed like J.R. Smith was out for a while. He was out for between actual games, uh, a little over 600 days. Andre Robertson, days between NBA games. So his last, I don't even remember what, you know, if it was playoffs or regular season when he went down, 909 days between games. That's crazy. That's got to be a record for an injury-based absence, right? I mean, I'm sure there have been guys who maybe went overseas and appeared in games like five years apart or something like that. But 909 days between games. Almost in any sport, probably. For just pure, like if we're talking injuries. Just pure injury, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's it's good because they actually kind of need him and they can really use him because their wing rotation, mm -hmm. they don't have any. Like They're just not good. And so he gives them the ability to guard guys on the wing and all the best teams in the league have good wing players. Not that he's going to stop them necessarily, but they need him as an yeah. option because otherwise it's Samadou Diallo and it's right. Terrence Ferguson and those aren't great options. Well, the, the problem is he doesn't give them anything offensively and those other like he's when he even when he was healthy before the injury he was like arguably the worst offensive player in the league right. especially among like non-plotting centers uh so there's that but the other the other small forwards also have extreme limitations on offense so like yeah it's really good to have him back but i feel like you're just adding like another limited small forward to a rotation that has dort and ferguson and dialu and abdel nader who, who just cleared concussion protocol so they have like five options i don't know if any of them are actually good options and it seems like this has been the case for OKC for like a full decade now, dating back to the, I think it was the Karan Butler acquisition that was finally going to solve this. The year that he went down, so 17, 18, mm -hmm. uh, when he was on the court, the Thunder were 12 points better on defense per 100 possessions, which was in the 100th percentile. And the years before that, he was basically four, defense was four points better, and those are all in the 80th percentile. So like his ability to make a difference on the court is crazy. And overall, they were plus seven. He was, again, horrible on offense. But his he's not he's so much better on defense than those other guys are for OKC. I think it's just it's it's good to have him. I'm glad he's back. You and I are participating in a DraftKings uh, media pool picks contest. I guess yeah. I, don't, I don't know what the actual word is. Um, NBA prop pool. I guess is is how I should phrase it. And this just focuses on Thursday night's games, uh, focuses pretty heavily on the the Pelicans and the Lakers. Not a whole lot going on with the Clippers or the Jazz. But we were essentially asked to just make our picks for a handful of props and and give our lock among all these props as well. So we, we thought that'd make for good content uh, for the show. And we'll just run through these props. And I, I don't know what your picks are yet. You don't know what mine are. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to to seeing how much we're aligned on these. But we'll start at the top. Total three-pointers made by LeBron James in Thursday night's game against the Clippers. The line is set at two and a half. I went under, but I had not a lot of confidence in this one. I just felt like, I don't know. I don't necessarily trust LeBron to make three three-pointers in a game against two of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA. I think he would be better off driving or posting up on these guys. But I don't know. LeBron also has a tendency to just pick games where he's lazy and shoot 10 three-pointers from 30 feet. So it's yep. very much a wild card. I went under as well, and we have almost exactly the same logic. <laughs> I, I looked at you know his game logs against the Clippers. He never hit more than two in any of their three matchups this year. But 
he also took a ton. He had 12 attempts in one of those games, uh, one that they lost, uh, the, the second matchup, two for 12. He was two for six in the game that they won just before the shutdown, and he was one for five in their matchup on opening night. And like you said, they, he does have a tendency sometimes when, especially when he's going up against Kawhi Leonard or another really good perimeter defender who he can't blow by, can't kind of body in the post to, I think to kind of get himself going, just maybe settle for some threes and, and pray that they go down and, and kind of use that. But you know, more often than not, that strategy doesn't work when Kawhi Leonard's the guy guarding you. So right. I'm, I'm with you. I, you know, we talked about that the Clippers will be a little bit shorthanded, but as long as they have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, those are the guys that are going to be matching up with LeBron. They're going to have Mark, uh, Marcus Morris as well. Another guy who's historically nobody has good luck against LeBron, but he at least can body him up physically. Uh, so I think the, the amount of guys that they can throw at him, um, I, I like the under on two and a half as well, but that's just, that's just a good line. I mean, yeah, it if is. it was three and a half, I would have no doubt or even three and go under. Um, mm-hmm. And if it was one and a half, I'd go over. So it, I think two and a half is, is just about right. What about total three pointers made by Zion in Thursday's game against Utah? The line is 0.5 makes. I did not even consider clicking over uh on this so yeah i'm under under a half three-pointer for me i don't expect him to shoot a three i'm sure maybe he might he might shoot one but i don't expect him to make it he hit that first game where he hit was it four against the spurs or whatever it was complete freak accident because he just stopped shooting them after that and he missed the ones he did shoot and his free throw form is still bad the whole form is still bad just when you watch him play and he settles for any sort of jumper it's just like it's ugly like that's what you want you wish you didn't see it yeah and it says a lot that i mean after that first night and if you watch that game he was just he was just tired he was just throwing up shots and they were going in and it was awesome but it was very clear like he didn't even try to carry the momentum over like two nights later he takes one attempt you know against the nuggets and he went on a streak where he went like six consecutive games without even taking one in february and march so I don't think he's delusional. You know, it's not a LeBron situation where he's, you know, it's not like Zion's going out and going like 0 for 12 from three. Right. Like he's just not even taking him. And, and this one was my lock. And that's basically what I wrote for my, uh, my explanation of, of why I chose that is I'm not even worried about him taking one really. And if he, if he does launch it, you know, I'll hold my breath for a second, but you know, he has six makes in 19 games. And like you said, four of them came in like a two minute span. Right. So I'll, I'm willing to take the odds here and and uh, and go under on a half make for Zion. What about who will just straight up score more points, LeBron or Zion? I just pick LeBron. I just have more faith in LeBron, even though the matchup is worse for him. But yep. at the same time, Zion has to deal with Rudy Gobert on the inside a yeah. lot of times because they might put Rudy Gobert. I'm sure they will very much try to put Rudy Gobert on him. So yeah. Um, cause he hasn't played, they played the jazz earlier in the season, but Gobert I don't think played or Zion didn't play one of the two didn't play. So they have never played each other. Um, I just have more faith in LeBron. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think Zion right now, given his limitations is best utilized at center and who else physically can match up with Williamson. If you're Utah, you know, like Joe Ingles is just going to get bullied. You know, I mean, you're not obviously not Conley or Mitchell right. and Gobert. I mean, Gobert himself might get bullied, but at least he has the height advantage, you know, where he can get pushed back physically, but at least has the length to kind of recover and, and contest shots. So I'm with you on that. I went LeBron as well. And I, I think another thing that I noted you know, in the write up is I don't know that it's a lock that Zion's going to come back and play 35 minutes right that away. Too. Like he yeah. he was out of the bubble for like eight days. You know, he just, he just practiced 
on Tuesday. And that might be really his only tune up. You know, you would imagine, you know, that, that on Wednesday, the Pelicans aren't going to go too hard. You know, how is he going to be aerobically? Um, are they going to be comfortable given his injury history and how cautious they were with him anyway? All that's going on, you know, the bubble, leaving the bubble, returning to the bubble. Like, I think there's a chance that he's really good, but he only plays 24 minutes or something like that on Thursday. Yeah, the only I think the only counter argument is that the Pelicans need this win. Yes, and the true. Lakers don't need this win. Very true. So Very LeBron true. could play 29 minutes. Yeah, I think especially if if the Lakers were to come out cold and the you know the Clippers are up big in the third, yeah. you know maybe they just fold and you know there's just very little motivation at that point. Uh, what about rebounds? Zion versus Anthony Davis. Who has more rebounds? Uh, I said Anthony Davis, and that yep. was my lock. Uh, okay, mostly because of the same factor. It was like Anthony. I, I don't trust Zion to get rebounds over Rudy Gobert. I don't really trust Zion to get eight rebounds in a game anyway because uh, he's just not an amazing rebounder on the defensive end, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and Anthony Davis, assuming he plays, is going up against Zubach and old Joe Kim Noah and maybe even some small ball fives from the Clippers. He's just going up against the undersized front court of the Clippers. I just think he can get more rebounds. Yeah, we're in agreement on that one as well. Uh, I, I picked Davis partially because, you know, my concerns about Zion's workload, partially because Zion is just not he hasn't been a volume rebounder so far. He has only two games where he's reached double digits in rebounding. And I, I think he closed the the pre-suspended season with 13 straight games of of nine rebounds or fewer. So I would like to think that Davis, if healthy, you know, I mean, we should mention, I guess, that he, I guess, like we said at the top, you know, there is a chance he doesn't play, but I would imagine he's in the lineup. Um, if he plays his regular complement of minutes, I, I think that one is is pretty close to a lock. And um, we also have a, a Matra Terrell update officially out. So, you know, I, I think that probably adds to Davis's case, if nothing else. Yeah, it does. LeBron James versus Lonzo Ball. Who will have more assists? I struggled with this one, actually. Yeah, this is tough. I, I think I went with LeBron, but the fact that I don't really remember, <laughs> you know, I... Yeah, I, I think I did go with LeBron because he's, he's more of like the singular option on the mm-hmm. Lakers in terms of he has the ball in his hands all the time. Um, Lonzo can always pop off for like 15 assists because he can get like six in transition and, right. and stuff like that. But um, I think I do trust LeBron more. But it, again, it wouldn't be surprising if, if Lonzo uh, got more. I do think this is a funny prop, though. I, I enjoyed that this was thrown in there. Yeah, it's just two just two great passers, you know, going at it. Um, but no, it is tough. I I went with LeBron. I think he's the safer pick because, I mean, it felt like he never even played that well in those games against the Clippers. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a, had a really nice second half and a, a really great fourth quarter in their third matchup. But he still got to eight nine assists relatively easily, and he's a master at that. Like even if a game is lost, he'll find a way to like approach a triple double or get a triple double just to salvage that and. Yeah, I mean, I think he's just a little bit safer, but that one was difficult. Uh, what about combined points, rebounds, assists, and blocks? Anthony Davis and LeBron or Zion and Drew Holiday? I went with LeBron and AD. All right, same here. I, I don't, I don't know. I this is supposed to be a close one. Obviously, I didn't think it was that close. Me especially neither. when you factor in blocks. Yeah, Anthony Davis could get five by himself. Right. I don't expect Zion Williamson or Drew Holiday. I. They could probably get one combined, and you know I mean, Drew Holiday might get ten assists. Whatever, LeBron James might get ten assists. Like I, I just, 
I don't know. They're LeBron and AD are both more well-rounded players than Zion Williamson and Drew. Holiday. Yeah, I, I almost should have made this one my lock. Uh, you know, especially like if you think Lonzo Ball might have nine assists, Drew Holiday is probably not having thirteen assists. And like you said, whatever Holiday has is almost certainly going to be offset by LeBron. Zion has not really racked up assists whatsoever. He had one five assist game. Other than that, it's been zero, one, two, or three in every game. He has nine blocks in 19 games, hasn't been a shot blocker at all. Obviously, that was a a big part of his profile as a prospect at Duke, but not something that's translated so far. So yeah, this one one was easy for me. I think LeBron and Davis, uh, probably in a landslide. Uh, What about first half points and second half points? These are two separate props, LeBron versus Zion, most points in the first half and then in the second half. I just went with LeBron on these. I didn't try to put too much thought into that. I didn't want to try to hyperanalyze anything. I just trusted LeBron more. I went Zion in the first half, LeBron in the second. Okay. I, I think Le- we've seen LeBron, you know, over the years, feel out enough games and kind of ease in and then put his feet out, or his foot on the gas in the second if he needs to. Uh, and I, I think Zion, you know, that every Pelicans game that I watched before the shutdown, it, it did seem like, you know, he's ready to go from the tip and they're ready to get him involved right away. True. So I, I could see that being a point of emphasis. All right. At least we're, we don't have the exact same results like i was gonna say if i win this thing we're gonna have to tie it um so that that's that might be what it hinges on and then the final prop will both the lakers and the pelicans win yes or no uh i said no i was thinking that the clippers might beat the lakers i i initially said no then log back in and change it to yes because (laughs) i think the clippers are going to be a little too shorthanded yeah i i watched all three lakers scrimmages and i i thought they looked even better than i expected uh but we're, we're both in agreement that that new orleans should take care of utah uh yes Should. i i yeah i locked mine in before the mantras herald news which maybe i should go back in and change it now yes um i would advise that yeah so you and i wrote a predictions piece that went up on the site late last week we don't have time to break down the full thing but i i wanted to ask you we each submitted four predictions for the seeding round for the playoffs just kind of the the finish to the season in general very few parameters which one or two of yours do you feel the most strongly about as we're now on the eve of the season getting back into full swing? This might be the one I like want to happen the most, but I think that the Pelicans will end up having the best record in the seeding games. Uh, partially because they, they like the Trailblazers, have the most to fight for. Mm-hmm. Other than the Grizzlies, who have to fight to stay in the eighth. Uh, but I just think... like. Since Zion's been there, they've had the sixth best point differential in the league. They're one of the better. They're one of the best teams in the league um, since he's been there, and I think they have a they have a really good bench. They have a lot of good role players, and I think that will help them in this case. And not every team is going to be trying as hard as possible in the bubble. Like who knows how hard the Bucks are going to try? Mm-hmm. Are they just going to go, you know, like five and three? Same with the Lakers, etc. Um, so. Yeah, I just think the Pelicans are going to fight as hard as any other team, and they have the the roster to do it. I think that's fair. I think motivation is going to ultimately be the biggest factor for a lot of these teams, especially as the seeding games progress. I think right now, every team has something to play for in their at least their first two seeding games. I think the Bucks, if the Bucks go two and zero right away, they clinch the one. Right, the Lakers are, are pretty close to doing the same, but. Once we get to game five, game six, game seven, game eight, things might get a little wacky. We're almost certain to see a lot of star players resting and and like you said the pelicans i mean even they could they could get to game eight and still need to win that to maybe you know get into the eight spot as opposed right. to just trying to force that that one game playoff with memphis 
Uh, what, what's your other one? Um, I'll go with, I think Michael Porter Jr. will swing a playoff series for the Nuggets. That was one of my bolder ones, I guess, although they kind of were all supposed to be. But I think I think they will get to a point where they need Michael Porter Jr. I don't know when exactly, mm-hmm. but I think at one point they'll start feeling the pressure and he'll come out there and Michael Malone will trust him with some minutes and he'll play well. And then they won't be able to put him back on the bench. Like you can't, if he, if he comes out and he scores 15 in 15 minutes, you can't, you can't bench him again. Right. And so I think from that point, there will be a point where he comes out there and then he's, if he plays well, then he's going to, he could potentially win them a series. Yeah. One of my predictions, Michael Porter will spew coronavirus conspiracy theories on Twitter before the start of the seeding games as come to fruition. So uh, I feel really good about that one. Um, No, actually, the one that, like you, I think I just want to happen. I don't know if it actually will happen, but I I wanted to write it up anyway. I think the Nets or the Wizards are going to go defeated. The Pelicans might go undefeated. I think one of those teams is going going defeated. Uh, Very possible. I disagreed with you because I think the Wizards might win three games. (laughs) All right, well, then it's the Nets. Uh, They play each other. That's the problem. They play each other. They do. Um, Early on, too. So it's going to be huge. Yeah, that's got the... Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern on Sunday time slot. So make they, sure to, to tune into that one. They undisputedly have the worst roster. The Wizards do. I, yes. I just think this format mm-hmm. will make it really hard for a team to lose every single game. Yep. All right. We got to wrap it up, Alex. Uh, give me a rating 1 through 100 on the Atlanta Hawks new set of uniforms. Oh, those are like a solid 90, I think. 85, maybe? I'll give them an 88. Okay. I think we're I think we're right on there. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.